certainly thankful to be here with you this morning. Uh, we enjoyed being here two weeks ago at um, y'all's meeting. Lord richly blessed it, and we certainly enjoyed that and appreciate y'all hosting that meeting. And um, we're thankful to have this opportunity back here with you this morning. And we certainly ask that you pray for us with time we stand before you. We stand in need of the Lord's grace and help to be able to preach to you. And uh, we all stand near the Lord's grace to be able to hear God's word and it be a blessing to us and something that touches our heart in a place where only the Lord can reach us. And that's the power of the preaching of the gospel. It's not a power that I have or any other minister has, but it's a power that when the Lord blesses the preaching, uh, something wonderful takes place. And that is our desire this morning. I hope that you'll join with me in praying uh, to that end. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. I'd like to read a verse of Scripture here in the fifth chapter of Galatians, verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6. It says, For in Jesus Christ... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. In this verse, um, of course, we are certainly jumping in the middle of the context of this book of Galatians and even this chapter. And you can tell that by the first word of this verse, which is for. He is connecting it with what he has been saying. In fact, many of the verses ahead of this one also begin with the word for, telling us that he is really building upon a lot that he has previously taught. And if you're familiar with this book of Galatians and the situation at the, in Galatia, uh, there were many that were leaving the New Testament church and going back to the Old Testament going back to the ways of the Old Testament law and, and thinking that uh, maybe they made a mistake coming to the New Testament church and maybe we need to go back to the way we used to do it. And one of the things contained in the Old Testament law was something called circumcision. This was something that God gave to Abraham and something that actually made the Jewish nation, the Israel nation, stand apart from everybody else because they did it no one else did. But in this verse we read that in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availed anything nor uncircumcision. You know, it's different in Jesus Christ. You know, to this world it may be important uh, whether you're boy or a girl, or you're an American or a citizen of another nation or you're of this occupation or that. But in Jesus Christ, I would say that you and I, we are all on the same level in Jesus Christ. We are all God's children, all God's people. There's no one greater than anyone else. The greatest in the kingdom, that, that is already occupied by Jesus Christ. He's the greatest. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That word avail carries with it the idea of, of powerful or strength or prophet. Is there any prophet 
And this, and you could go to other places in Galatians where he says, there's neither, in that Galatians 3 verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, it's, a, it's, it's totally different. We are all God's people in Christ Jesus. But in this verse, he says at the end, he says neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. But faith which worketh by love. I like to spend some time on that expression this morning, the Lord be our helper, because I believe it introduces a concept to us that is extremely important. You know, something that we have that the Lord has given to us, we call faith. It's a gift of God. It's not something that originated with us. In fact, in Hebrews 12, Jesus is described as the author and finisher of our faith. So we just found out where our faith comes from. He's the author of our faith. Faith is a gift of God. It's something that the child of God receives in regeneration. So therefore, not everybody has faith. If they're not a born-again child of God, they don't have faith. And I could go to 2 Thessalonians 3 to prove that to you, but we won't turn there this morning. But suffice it to say... Faith is something that is given to us by God. And it's extremely important. In fact, it's the guiding principle that guides the child of God. And you'll find throughout the New Testament a, a statement that is made. And it is, the just shall live by faith. There's the guiding principle that the righteous man has. It's the faith that God has given him. You know, the faith that's inside of you teaches you a lot of things. How do we know that God created this world? Well, Hebrews 11 says that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which appear were made of things which do not appear. How do we know God exists? By faith. How do we know God created this world? By faith. There's a lot of things that we believe and, and teach by faith. But lest we say that that's just something that is made up and it's a story that someone has come up with... I'd like to point out to you the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Now faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you want evidence that God exists, God's placed that evidence right inside of your heart. That faith that you believe in things that you have not seen, that faith dwells in your heart. It's evidence, it's not a condition. It's not something that we try to gain. It's something that God has placed inside of us, and we hope to look at that in more detail in just a moment. But first, I want us to understand that faith is a very important thing for the child of God. You know, if we are going to try to withstand the attacks of the devil and everything and the world and all the things that are thrown at us, we need to put on the whole armor of God, as he describes in Ephesians chapter 6. And he describes many arms. You have a helmet, breastplate, and, and, and shoes. But he also mentions the shield of faith. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, that's an important, important statement because it tells us that there are some fiery darts being thrown at you. <laughs> a, a dart that not only hurts, but it burns at, after it lands. But your shield of faith can quench, it can put out the dart and stop that dart from hurting you or anyone around you. 
that shield of faith is so important. Faith is also our means of being able to communicate with the Lord. In James chapter 5, he tells us about how important prayer is. And he says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But then he says, The prayer of faith saves the sick. Now I want to point out something about that expression. It doesn't say the prayer of faith heals the sick, although that does happen. It says the prayer of faith saves the sick. Now, it does not mean it saves them eternally. Another thing that will really help our understanding of the Bible is recognizing that every word, every time the word saved is mentioned, it's not necessarily meaning eternal salvation. In fact, I would say a majority of the time it's talking about some salvation here in time. But I'll tell you, that prayer of faith saves the sick. And so the prayer of faith, that's the prayer that we should offer up to the Lord. We use the faith that God has given us as our transmitter to God. But you know, that faith is also a receiver from God. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, The gospel did not profit them that heard it, because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. What I'm preaching to you this morning, any sermon that you hear, the sermon of the preaching of the gospel, it will only profit you or bless you if it's mixed with faith and you that hear it. See, the gospel is contained of words, but when the Lord blesses the preaching, those words get elevated to something more significant than just words. There's power contained in the preaching of the gospel, but it's got to be mixed with faith in them that hear it. I want to point out to you that when I was in the Air Force, we, uh, we used radios to communicate uh, to the airplanes and back to the ground. And the importance in that communication is that we had the exact same radios on the ground that they did in the plane. We were speaking the exact same language. It was the exact same means of communicating. It was a receiver and a transmitter. And when God placed faith inside of you and I, we now have the means to communicate with God. I want to point that out to you in the fourth chapter of Galatians. You go back to Galatians chapter 4. It says in verse 6, there's a lot that's contained in this chapter. I'd love to get to all of it, but we're just going to go right to the, the verse. Galatians 4 verse 6. He says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying... Abba Father. Now notice, I believe what he's describing here is what happens when you're born again. I want you to notice who this happens to. He says, and because you are sons. You know, you are a son of God before this world began, when the Lord chose you uh, in Jesus Christ before the world began. You are already a son of God back then. And because you are a son, this is the cause, you are already a son, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, and notice what happens as a response, crying, have a Father. There, that's a prayer. That's a prayer that the words Jesus literally, literally used when He walked here in this life, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so there's something inside of you now, the Spirit of God's Son that dwells in your heart, that cries out to God. That's the transmitter, you understand <coughs> And here today, we are, I trust, uh, we, we have, we, in singing these songs to God, we have transmitted praise and adoration to the Lord. 
in our prayer that Brother Patrick offered up, and I trust all of us have offered up, there's transmission going on to the Lord. But here at this time, in this part of the service, this is the time when we try to hear what God has to say. This is where we receive, you understand. Yeah, communication is a two-way street. I, you know, I get around people a lot of times that are really good at talking, but not very good at listening. Uh, I've had uh, a brother of mine tell me, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should spend twice as much listening than, than talking. Uh, that doesn't apply to everybody. You know, I, I heard a response to that. Well, our mouth is much bigger than our little bit of ears. Uh, the little hole in our ears is much smaller. But anyway, God has spent, set forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And now we receive and we listen to what God has to say. It's the only way that happens, the only way we even have a desire for that to happen is by faith. Faith is such an important thing that the child of God has. I want to show you why. Turn me to 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5, he says this in verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. He says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now notice he says, whatsoever is born of God. The new birth, regeneration, that's such an important concept for you and I to grasp. Being born of God, of God being born from above. And I tell you, it's a very difficult thing I've noticed across a lot of people uh, who uh, believe in the Lord to, to really accept what we believe about being born of God. You know, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll find that when God created this world, He did it just by speaking it into existence. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He just spoke. Genesis 1 verse 3. God said, let there be light. And what does it say? There was light. God spoke and it was done. I believe most people would agree with that statement. Most people who believe in God will believe that God created it by just speaking it into existence. I also believe, though, so that's the beginning. I also believe at the end of the last day, when the Lord comes back again, God is going to speak and command, and all the dead are going to come out of the graves and be resurrected and meet the Lord in the air, and they'll ever be with the Lord. We believe that. The Bible teaches that. And I would say that most people would agree that with that who believe in God. And God's a God of pattern. He did it this way. He didn't have to find a different way because that's the way that works. God always does it the best way. He did that at the beginning. He'll do that at the end. But what about here in between? Is there something for us to do? Did, when we were created originally, was there something that we had to do? No. God did it all. When the Lord comes back again, is He, is he going to need any help out of us to... To call the dead out of the graves? No, he'll do it all by himself. Well, what about being born again? I'm telling you, it happens the exact same way as creation and the resurrection. You are created in Christ Jesus under good works. It does happens the same way. God is a God of pattern. He speaks and it's done. He commands and it stands fast. You can illustrate that in Acts 9 by Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. 
where he appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I, I believe a great change happened on that road to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus, who had letters in his hand of authority to go and bind all that called on the name of the Lord through Jesus and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. He went there with that desire, but he didn't come back with that desire. <laughs> because the Lord changed his heart. He placed the spirit of his son into his heart, crying, Abba, Father. He didn't ask for it. He wasn't looking for it. The Lord overpowered him when he met him there. It says in John chapter 3, when Jesus teaches Nicodemus about being born again, he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou heareth the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh, nor whither it goeth. So also is everyone who is born of the Spirit. They all are born again the same way. The wind has power, it has control. We can't see it coming, we can't see it going. We just see the effects of it. So also is everyone who is born of God. Notice 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, you find someone like that? He says, is born of God. You know, life precedes action. The cause and the effect... The effect is you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the cause is you're born of God. You must be born again first. You must be born of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. And so we find uh, more information here that we're going to get to in just a moment. But 1 John 5 verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now what does that mean? If you're born of God, if, if you are, are able to overcome the world, you are someone who's born of God. And he says, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That's what we've been talking about this morning. It's faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What does that mean to overcome the world? Well, back up with me to chapter 2 of 1 John. We first need to understand what it means by world. Oftentimes we talk about being in the world, living in the world, but what, what do we mean by that when we say the world? Notice 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now notice he's, he lists three things that the world consists of. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says that's not of the Father, that's of the world. I believe that's the three things that we battle in this world when we try to live in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We could go into those in more detail. But suffice it to say, in 1 John 5, 4, he says, The victory that overcometh the world is our faith. If you're going to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, what's it going to take? Here's another example of how important faith is to the child of God. If you're going to overcome this world, you must exercise your faith. You know, our faith is like the muscles in our body. You and I all have the same number of muscles in our body. But some people's muscles are bigger, stronger than others. Why is that? 
Because they exercise it. If you want your faith to be strong, you must exercise your faith. Now this takes us back to our text, Galatians 5, 6. He says, faith which worketh by love. Here is how you get your faith stronger. You get your faith to grow. It's faith which worketh by love. What makes faith work? You know, I think about that shield of faith that we have. What if that shield of faith, <laughs> this is one way of, of looking at it, it's like these cell phones in our pocket. You know, these cell phones can do some amazing things. I mean, they do some amazing things. But a cell phone that has a dead battery can't do anything. It's got to be, it's got to be charged. It's got to have its battery full if it's going to work. And your shield of faith and the faith that we're describing, it's got to have the power. Where's the source of that power? Love is the source. Faith which worketh by love. You know, faith without works is dead being alone. That's what James says in James chapter 2. It's, a, it's like a dead cell, cell phone. It's a, a dead battery. Faith without works is dead being alone. Faith works by love. You know, we came over here this morning. I imagine it's around 100 miles that we drove. And I'm going to tell you, I, I thought, how long would it take me to have walked 100 miles? <laughs> I'd had to start a few days ago if I was going to make that journey. If I had a horse, I might could have done it in a day. I might have taken two. I don't know exactly the, how far a horse can go. But we have these amazing machines outside that we have parked that have brought us over here in 100 miles in just a little over an hour and a half. I mean, that's an amazing machine that can do all that and be so reliable. But that machine runs out of gas. <laughs> I tell you, it's just a hunk of metal on the side of the road if it's out of gas. And your faith, if it's going to be beneficial to you, if it's going to be strong, if it's going to be a blessing to you and your family and your church, that faith works by love. Love is what makes the difference when it comes to our faith. It's the power that keeps your faith going. You know, love is, is the greatest motivation that there is. You know, we can be motivated to come to church out of fear. You know, we, we don't want to go to hell for all eternity, so we come to church to be, because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't. Well, that's, that's a motivation, but that's not a very good one. Uh, we can be motivated by greed and say, well, I'm going to do all this stuff for the Lord so I get more stars in my crown. Well, that's, that's a motivation. But I'll tell you the best motivation there is, is love. Love will overcome fear. Love will overcome greed. It'll overcome everything else. Love is the best motivation there is. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, Apostle Paul says, The love of Christ constraineth me. He just described his motivation. It's the love of Christ. Oh, I tell you, when we start talking about the love of Christ, the love of God, that is such a wonderful subject. And it's such a blessing to me to consider. The love of God will live in all eternity. It never ends. In Romans chapter 8, he says, What shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? What's going to separate us from God's love? I'm going to tell you, nothing will separate you from the love of God. There is nothing in this world or in, in anywhere else that can separate you from the love of God. 
You are in the love of God and nothing will take you away. God's love is unconditional to us. It's not dependent on how good and righteous that we are. We should be good and righteous, but His love is unconditional to us. In fact, He says here in 1 John chapter 5, where we are, He says, Everyone that loveth, this is back in verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. You know, if we go into 1 John 4, which is an outstanding chapter to describe the love of God, he describes something I call the triad of God's love. Now, what is a triad? Well, we were singing this morning, and we sang most of the songs, I think, this morning, if not all, were in the major key. In the major key in our song book, you see do, me, so. Those are three notes that are in harmony, that have a common base, which is do. Now, I'm not going to sit down here and give you a music lesson. I'm just trying to, to show you that a triad is three things that are in harmony, do, me, so. But they have a common base, and that's do. If it's minor, it'd be la, do, me, and the common base would be la. Now, the triad of God's love is God loves us. First John 4, 19, we love him because... He first loved us. God loves us. We love God. And we love one another. That's the triad. Three things that are in perfect harmony. But the common base is God loves us. It all begins with God loves us. That's the common base. We all have that in common this morning. God loves me. God loves you. He loves us. And so therefore, we're here because we love God. We're here to show our love for the Lord and take time out of our day and come here because we love God. But we're also here because we love one another. You know, you can show your love for God every day of your life, and we should. But here in this place, in the church, we come together because we love one another. We love God because He first loved us and we love another. That's three things when we talk about the triad of God's love. Notice 1 John 5, 1 again. He says, everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that's begotten of him. We love God because he loved us, and we love him that's begotten of him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, you show God that you love him by keeping his commandments. By doing what he tells us to do, that's the greatest way that you can show that you love God when you keep his commandments. And when you love his people, God notices that. God sees that. And so we see a great connection between faith in verse 4 and the love in the previous verses. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is a chapter that I would say describes love. In fact, this chapter is divided into three parts. First three verses describe uh, the priority of love. Three P's, if you want to easily remember this. The first three verses are the priority of love. Verses four through seven describe the properties of love. And the last verses describe the permanence of love. And even... Uh, how we've already said, love goes on and on in all eternity. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, charity which means love and action, 
I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now he says, if, if I can speak with the tongues of men, if I can speak with the language of angels, that'd be quite a gift. Um, my wife and I were down in Costa Rica this past week, and uh, they, they, they don't speak English, but they do. I mean, they, they speak better English than we speak Spanish. But, uh, so we relied on that. But we were down there with Elder Jeb Owen, who just happened to be working down there, and we piggybacked on his trip. And boy, he says that he can only speak Spanish a little, but he can speak it way better than we can. And so being able to speak other languages, that's quite a unique gift. I, I think if I've really spent a lot of time trying to learn their language or any other language, it would foul me up on English worse than I already am. I, I think I'd get real confused trying to. But someone who is able, I know there's people out there that can speak multiple languages, five languages, ten languages. That just amazes me. Someone that has that kind of gift to be able to speak all those languages. But he says, if you could do all of that, and yet you don't have charity, there's no love there, I'm a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, if you're a part of a band, sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal certainly has its place. I notice when I watch the bands perform, those sounding brass, they don't just keep, keep on claiming it, they just do it at certain times. <laughs> but imagine just having to sit there and just listen to that, just over, oh man, I, I'd get my fill of that real fast. <laughs> but if you have someone who has a gift, but they don't have love there, that's what they're like. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. <laughs> now he just described having the gift of prophecy, understanding mysteries. Isn't it wonderful to get around people who, who've delved into this word of God and there's things that are mysterious to us, but they speak about it as if it's just so easy to understand. <laughs> they understand the mysteries. They have the ability to preach and they have all this knowledge. And they have all faith, and they can remove mountains by the faith that they have. He says, but I don't have charity. I'm nothing. Your gift, without love there, is nothing. It's not worth uh, having to be around people like that. They're so talented, so gifted, and yet there's no love there. It's just all about them. He says, I'm nothing if I have not charity. That tells us how important love is. And we've already seen that faith works by love. How important love must be. Because we see how important faith is. And so he goes on and tells us, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. That's a wonderful thing to do. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now he's told us in these first three verses just how important charity or love in action is. But now... He goes in to telling us what love is. We've seen how important love is. We've seen some things about love. But what is love? You know, there have been a lot of folks in this world trying to figure that in, the question that in, the answer to that question. <laughs> what is love? I want you to notice in verses 4 through 7, when he describes what it is, it is not what this world would have you to believe. They describe love like it's a feeling. Well, love certainly has feelings involved in it, but what really is love? If faith works by love, 
And we want our faith stronger. We want our faith fully gassed up, as it were, with love. What is it that we need to be doing in order to be, to have love? You know, love is not just a receiving thing. We shouldn't go around expecting to receive love. We should be going around giving love. And whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Now he says, charity suffereth long. Ch charity, someone who is demonstrating love doesn't have a short fuse. Just about to blow up at a moment's notice. They're not a volcano, as it were. It's just, just one little wrong condition and all of a sudden they blow up. No, that's not someone who's living with love in their heart. They suffer long. They are patient. They cheerfully endure a difficult thing in life. They don't have a chip on their shoulder just waiting on you to knock it off. Charity suffers long. Charity is kind. Kindness. Being kind to one another. They're not rude. They're not someone who's mean or, or, or difficult to get along with. They're kind. They envy, Charity envieth not. That word envy means desiring what someone else has. You know, envy... Uh, carries with it a really very negative idea to me because when Pontius Pilate had Jesus brought to him, he recognized that the reason they brought Jesus to him was for envy. The religious leaders of the Jews, they wanted what Jesus had and they wanted him out of the picture so that they could have what Jesus had. It was for envy. It's for wanting what he had. And, you know, even today, we should never desire to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. He's already that. He's already the greatest. Envy, desiring what someone else has. Charity doesn't do that. Vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It's not going around self-promoting. It's not going around being puffed up. You know, if you go back to chapter 8 of, of uh, Corinthians, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, it might be 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. It says, knowledge puffeth up. It, it gets you so swelled with, I have all this knowledge. I know all this. I'm so great. It says, but charity edifies. <laughs> you know the difference between knowledge and charity? You know, knowledge is a wonderful thing to have. In fact, it's a thing that is very dangerous for us not to have. Ignorance is a dangerous thing. In fact, Hosea chapter 4, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance is a dangerous thing. But knowledge by itself, all it does is make you think you're better than everyone else. It puffs you, puffs you up. He says, but charity edifies, builds other people up. Now I want to notice in this description of love and charity, the, the, the focus is not on the person, it's on what they're doing for everyone else. Edifying, building other people up. That's what charity does. It builds other people up. If you have love in your heart, love in action, that's what you'll do as well. Verse 5. Does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Now notice, it says, does not behave itself unseemly or indecently or in a way that would be a reproach. Uh, charity doesn't behave that way. Charity behaves good, has good behavior. Seeketh not her own. Again, it's not self-promoting. 
self-gratifying. Charity seeks everyone else, helping others. That's what real love is. It's not easily provoked. It doesn't say isn't provoked. It's not easily provoked. And again, we say charity suffereth long, as he says in verse 4. Thinketh no evil. You know, as we get into these other parts of the verses, I want to point out that there is a way in which there's a lot of mystery out there in the world. I, I, I tell you, the greatest mystery that I've ever tried to solve is whether someone's telling me the truth or not. Now, I understand law enforcement, they have their ways of figuring that out. Uh, but I, I, I'm not trained in that. <laughs> whether someone's telling the truth or not, I have a hard time discerning that. And so I just take them at their word. I'm not going to uh, try to think that there's some kind of hidden agenda going on inside of that person's mind. There might be. But how am I to be able to know that? I can't read their thoughts. And someone who is following the pattern of love, they're not going to have these evil thoughts towards everybody else. They're not going to think the worst about everyone else. You know, oftentimes, people who are staring at you are people that you think, oh, they're doing this because of this. Oh, they're doing that. We always think the worst. We always think the worst about what other people's motives are. But true love thinketh no evil. Verse 6, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Now this is where I believe we have a great departure from what real love is to what this world says love is. In this world, we have people who are living and believing and, and teaching these things, and they say they're doing it out of love. That uh, anyone who is against them is because they are against love. And I want to point out this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, tells us that true love does not rejoice in iniquity. True love does not rejoice in sin. True love comes from the Father of love, and it comes from the truth. Jesus himself declares himself to be the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. True love rejoices in the truth. You know, someone who has true love, they've received that from God himself. I want to prove that to you in, back in Galatians chapter 5. If you read Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, he describes the fruit of the Spirit. And if you think about a tree that produces fruit, the source of that fruit is found in the tree. The source of the fruit and the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit, which is the tree. And in that fruit of the Spirit, he describes first love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, Temperance against such there is no law. All those things he describes, the true source of those things is found in the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you find someone capable of loving and who expresses love, you found a child of God. If you find someone who is living by faith, believing what they believe by faith, you found someone who is a child of God because the only source of those things is the Spirit. Love, joy, you find someone who is full of joy, they are a child of God. You find someone who is full of peace, love, joy, peace. You find someone long-suffering, and so on and so forth. You found someone who is a child of God. True love rejoiceth not in iniquity. There are some people in this world who are rejoicing in iniquity, but they are not following true love, just their version of it. You know, iniquity, say, well, what, 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 what is the definition of iniquity? What, what's wrong and what's right? 
Well, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, he says, sin is a violation of God's law. That's the definition of an iniquity. That's the definition of sin. If it's contrary to God's law, it's an iniquity. And we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we shouldn't rejoice in that. Notice, what are we rejoicing in this morning? Are we rejoicing in some kind of sin or sinful lifestyle or something that we do because we think it's right but it's really wrong according to God? Or are we rejoicing this morning in the truth? The truth, oh, I tell you, the truth is so important. In fact, for us to worship the Lord, we must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. The only way we're going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth is we have to have the truth. And where do we get the truth? Well, Jesus says in John 8, if you continue in his word, then you're disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We get the truth out of the word of God. It's even called the word of truth. So we have the truth in God's word, and we have the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, We're in a good place this morning. (laughs) We're in a good place because God's given us the truth in his word, He's given us the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. And if you want a place to show your love and rejoicing in the truth, you found the right place this morning. Come and rejoice in the Lord and in the truth of God's Word. Some people may not like what the Bible has to say, but we have to acknowledge that it is the truth and we should rejoice in it. If we are truly going to be love, a love in action, and our faith which worketh by love, we must rejoice in the truth, not in iniquity. Verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. True love is willing to bear the burden. True love is willing to bear the burden of one another. You know, I think that's something that we have in the church. It's a great blessing is that we help one another bear our burdens. And I saw this in a picture one time, well, a series of pictures. Three men carrying a log on their shoulder. Now, it's easier to carry a burden if someone's helping you. But three men carrying a log on their shoulder come to this hole in the ground. And they come to this first, the, the hole, and the first guy, he's about to fall in, but since he's holding the log and the two behind him have got a hold of it, he doesn't. His feet are just dangling over the hole, but he didn't fall in it. He's holding on to the burden, which he's not helping at anymore, <laughs> but that burden sure is helping him. But then he gets across to the other side, and what happens to the second guy? Now he's over the hole, but he doesn't fall because he's holding the burden, and the two on the other side are now on the opposite ends of the hole. And so he makes it to the other side because he's holding on to the log. Well, they get to the third guy. He's now over the hole, but he doesn't fall in because he's still holding on to the log, and the other two are on the other side. I tell you what, here in the house of God, if you haven't been through suffering or tribulation, get ready because it's coming. But I have noticed in the church, you'll have people who've been blessed for a long time to be like you are this morning, just coming and, 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 and able to, to be here and have the, the gift to be here and the desire to be here and they worship the Lord and they have some kind of health problem. And everyone in the church reaches out to help them and carry them through that trouble and they make it through. 
And then someone else in the church. Now they have a problem. And everyone rallies around to help them. I'll tell you, that's the great blessing we have in the house of God. We bear this burden together. And it helps us through those difficult times. And, and those who truly demonstrate love in their heart, they will bear these things. They will bear the load. If you're going to be a tree producing fruit, I just want to tell you, those limbs that are holding on to fruit, that is a heavy load. And they start sinking under that load. But God's called us to bear much fruit to be His disciples. If you want to glorify God, you'll bear much fruit. You will bear all things that are put upon you. Believeth all things. You know, again, we are not called on to going around trying to figure out. You know, I, I get around people sometimes, uh, not in church <laughs> that much, uh, but people that are just really trying to catch you at a lie or catch somebody messing up or, or finding some kind of, like they just feel like in their mind there's conspiracies all around and they're trying to catch somebody at that. Well, someone who is truly following love they're going to take someone at their word. Yeah, if they're lying to them, they, they do like Jesus. They leave that in the Lord's hand. The judge, the great judge, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. If someone is, is betraying you or someone's manipulating you or someone is, is not, uh, you can't take them at their word. A true love, love in your heart will tell you to take them at their word and move on. Just take them at their word. That's between them and the Lord, and the Lord will take care of you. Trust the Lord will take care of you. I tell you, someone walking by faith, what does faith even mean? It means confidence in someone else. If you have faith in God, that means you have confidence in God. You are trusting God to take care of you. And oh, I tell you, you demonstrate that love, that confidence in God when you trust Him to take care of you, and you just go and do what the Lord tells you to do. You know, sometimes we are reluctant to give or to contribute to someone who, who says they're in need, but are they really in need? Well, the Bible says, let him that giveth do it with simplicity. Don't think too much into it. Just give. Give, asking for nothing again, and just move on. Do what the Lord calls on you to do. Just do it. And, and we may say, well, that's simple-minded. Oh, I can't believe we would want to get taken advantage of. I'll tell you what. Let the Lord watch over you and take care of you. Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. That word hope carries with it the idea of looking towards the future. Someone who follows love in their heart and walks with love in action, they're going to have a bright outlook for the future. They're not someone that's going to get you down or bring you down all doom and gloom. They have a bright outlook for the future. I tell you, you and I have a bright outlook for the future. In fact, Titus 1 verse 2 says we are in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We've got a great outlook for the future. In fact, I, I'm here to tell you this morning, we have victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He arose victorious over death, and 1 Corinthians 15 says, He gave us the victory. You are victorious this morning. Oh, I'll tell you, there's a big difference in a winner and a loser. I don't like to be on the losing team. You know, it seems like now you get... Children out playing sports these days, and uh, everyone's trying to stack their team <laughs> so they win every game. Now, I've been around some of those teams that win every game. Uh, they really are not able to handle adversity. We're doing our children no favor by having them win every game. But also, it seems like <laughs> children that lose every game, 
Man, I'm going to tell you what, why do I keep coming to the ball field? What is the point? They can outplay us every time. What is the point? It's just a defeated attitude, a defeated mentality. But I'm going to tell you this morning, you are victorious through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through His finished work. We have victory this morning. And we have a great outlook for the future. Oh, I tell you, we know how this story ends. Imagine if we wondered how this story would end. The Lord hasn't left us comfortless. He's told us, I'm coming back again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, I tell you, someone who's got the Lord's love in their heart, they have a great hope, a great outlook for the future. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You know, the Lord has called on us to run our race with patience. If you read Hebrews 12, he tells, he compares us to a runner in a race. And your life is like a race. It's a race that is an endurance race, not a sprint. There's a big difference in a sprint that just starts as fast and ends as fast and a marathon. A race that just goes on and on and on. And our race, we must run with patience. Patience. Endurance. You know, that's a really hard thing to really train yourself to be able to do is to endure. Um, and it, it causes you to be very mindful of how long your race is. If I'm going to set out to run 10 miles, which I don't do that very often, if, if any, I'm going to make sure that I start out slow enough that I don't use all my energy on that first mile. I'm going to pace myself. If I'm going to be able to endure, I'm going to have to go very slow at the start, and hopefully I can go at the same speed the entire time. Actually, to be honest with you, in, in the races that I run in, which I've run in in a long time, I always try to make sure I run the fastest at the very end than I do the entire race. Because then I see the finish line. When you can see that finish line, all that enduring that you have been doing suddenly culminates in that final moment when you see the finish line. I didn't do. I didn't touch it. I don't know what just happened there. Uh, I'll try to. There. Uh, the finish line in Hebrews 12. He says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and what finisher of our faith." That's the finish line, dear children of God. Jesus Christ is the finish, the finisher of our faith. The faith that has been so important to us throughout our life. The faith that has led us and strengthened us and guided us our entire time. Now, we look unto Jesus, the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. And so, we must run with patience the race that is set before us. Enduring whatever comes our way. Enduring it patiently. You know, if you're able to do that... There is nothing that the devil or this world can throw at you that will ever get to you if you can patiently endure all things. I tell you, love, love in action, is such an important thing for the child of God.
May the Lord help us to value it and use it and demonstrate it in our lives so that our faith would grow and our faith would be strong and our faith would help us overcome this world and our faith would be a blessing to all those we come in contact with. I thank you for your good attention this morning.